So welcome. Again, we're going to be journeying through the book of James, this letter that James writes. And uh, I invite you just to open your Bibles. If you don't have one, there's a digital bulletin on our website that uh, you can track along the passage, notes, uh, the action steps that we talk about at the very end. We're going to go, we're going to take this passage. We're in James chapter four, we're going to take it into four chunks, three, four chunks, and then we have some action steps that we're going to move into. Um, so we always want to center our teaching around the word of God and then find practical, meaningful ways that correlate to what God is teaching us through scripture to live it out, to be the community that he calls us to be. And so let's dive right in. We're going to dive in James chapter four. And I'm going to go verses 1 through 4. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your own pleasures. So this week, we're projected to get the stimulus, the uh, next stimulus check from the government. And as I'm sure many of you are anticipating and eager to see it hit your bank account, um, I, I've already found ways to spend it. I've already processed like, oh, here's what we can start to buy and here's what I can begin to use the money on. And um, like many of you, I'm sure you've already thought through some of that. Maybe you're using it for good reasons, uh, noble reasons, great reasons, um, like maybe paying off debt or things like that. Um, but selfishly, um, I'm already thinking through ways and, and anticipating that thing hitting the bank account and uh, keep checking and um, Katie's less concerned than I am because she's already like, well, why don't we just use it for great things? And because she's, she's a saint, she's awesome. But, um, but I'm just admitting to the fact that when we're given extra cash or we're given something that we unexpectedly um, receive, I think we instantly start to think of like selfish ways to spend it, right? We instantly think of like, well, I already got everything else covered, let's go beyond that. And maybe some of you are like, well, I need to pay bills, I need to cover some things, but, um, but it does begin to challenge us that when you're given something above and beyond your normal routine, it begins to reveal your heart and what you're about to do with that, right? And so, um, and, and one of the things I heard this week was in this conversation about stimulus checks, because I've you know, had a lot of conversation with different people, what they're going to do and how they're going to spend it. And um, it's been interesting to kind of dig into that. But, um, but I also heard someone... Uh, it was a pastor talking about um, kind of the response to people asking whether or not you need to tithe on a stimulus check. And his response in answering that was, if you have to ask, then you're missing the point. And I thought that was so convicting and it challenged me even to think through, what am I going to do with money that, that comes my way, just in general? And um, and over the years, I've definitely, like, God's disciplined my heart in those ways, but we always are continuing to learn and learn what it means to be generous and what it means to recognize that everything we get is a gift from God. Um, but we're tempted in those moments when we're given something above and, on, above, above and beyond, um, and, it, and it allows us to take inventory of our heart. 
And so I'm not bringing that up to like guilt you in any way to tithe to the church. I could care less what you do with that. Like it's between you and God. Um, but the question is, what does it reveal about our hearts when we're questioning things and how much we have to give up or where we need to use it and how we need to give it, right? Um, and, and I think what we see here in these first few verses uh, that James points out, like the fights, the quarrels, the tension that you have between one another is because of jealousy, because of envy, because of this thing called desire. We always desire more, right? So if we're given a little bit extra, we desire to use it for more and spend it. And like my wife, who's amazing, she, she'd rather save it, right? But I'm already thinking of ways to spend it. And I think that's what he hits on here is like the reason you fight in quarrels is because you see what someone else has and you want it. Because it reveals your heart when you begin to talk about generosity, when you talk about finances, when you talk about differences of opinion. It reveals who you are and what you care about. And so um, the first question that he asks here is, what causes issues among you? What causes the fighting between you? And he's talking to the early church. He's talking to believers. This isn't just the community at large um, or the culture at large. This is just the believers, the people who are following Christ. And, and he says, doesn't it all come from your desires? The desires that battle within you? And those battles will always exist. As long as we're here on earth, we're going to have temptations and desires and things that we just want that we're going to, we're going to have to tame, right? That we can't have everything. That we have to have discipline in our lives. And so these desires and motives, they're tied into our lives on a constant basis and have to be held in check. One of the verses that we see here that I think is a lot of times used out of context is verse 2. And there's a line where it says, you do not have because you do not ask. And I think that can be a sneaky way of people saying, well, you just need to ask God and he'll give it to you. Like he's some sort of genie in a bottle that just provides things for you when you ask and when you ask nicely, right? That's not what this verse is saying. What the verse is saying is we're getting at the core of your desires. And if your desires are selfish, if they're used for selfish gain, um, when you ask for things and they're going to be given to you, that God gives them to you in some way, if it's more money or whatever it is, resources, and you use them for selfish gain, he's like, you're not a safe pair of hands that I can give more stuff to. And... Um, and so when he talks about giving, he, he talks about giving out of like a desire to serve God. That when you ask God, and even in that conversation of talking to God, I believe that something is revealed in our heart with him, in our relationship with him. That as we begin to pray and we ask and have this conversation, um, that many of you have probably experienced that when you're in a conversation with somebody and you're asking them, it begins to articulate what you really want and what you desire. And I believe that if we come with selfish desires in our conversation with God, it gets revealed pretty quickly if we're honest in our heart and we're honest in the conversation. And so when he says, you, uh, you do not have because you do not ask, I think that comes from an asking from a pure motive, from a pure heart, a desire to serve God wholeheartedly. 
And then there's something that's revealed in that conversation. And so he goes on in verses 4, and we're going to read through 10. It says, You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. So we start to see these desires and the selfish desires being called out in a way and revealed by friendship and where that friendship lies or loyalty and where that lies. And he goes on in verse 5 and says, Or do you think scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us, but he gives us more grace? That is why scripture says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble and oppressed. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts. You double-minded, grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. There's an SNL skit that maybe you're familiar with, the cowbell skit with Will Ferrell, where he's in a band and he has the cowbell and he swears he is dedicated, he is obnoxiously persistent that the song needs more cowbell. And he's like, when you lay down this track, you're just gonna need more cowbell. And he's just like, ding, 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 and just going off on this cowbell. I bring this up. Because many of, many of us have probably seen that if you haven't, go back and just YouTube SNL cowbell skit with Will Ferrell. But what we see here in this passage is this, this clear, defined call to a relationship with God that says, are you going to be friends with the world or are you going to be friends with what God desires? And what he says is when you're friends with the world, he calls it, he gets into like being, uh, calling it resisting the devil. He calls it um, uh, all these like double-minded, um, calling them to purify their hearts. So it's like, it's missing the mark. That it's like, that that is just a, a clashing cowbell, just ding, ding, just making more and more noise. And that it's, it's just not the way that God desires for us to live in relationship. And he says, submit yourselves. He says, be willing to humble yourself and come before God and recognize who is control. That will begin to resolve the tension that you have with other people. That if you're coming into a relationship with a cowbell and just saying, this is what needs to come into our relationship. You need to hear me out. You need to understand this is the way we do things. More cowbell. Just ching, ching, ching. Just loud and loud and clear. Like just coming at you. That 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 approach, I'm already kind of drained just like thinking about it, right? That approach just doesn't work. And what he calls them to is this like, this humility. And he says in verse seven, he says, submit yourselves, right? Our culture thinks that being righteous or fighting over whether it's political issues, social issues, even religious issues that we see, um, that fighting over those things generally is filled with pride. There's arrogance in it. There's selfish motives. And a lot of times the fighting is like this resounding like 
cowbell, ching, ching, just making noise, coming out, and like everybody has their cowbell and everybody's trying to bring in what they think is the best option, right? Even in social media, like I'm, I'm challenged that I'm, and I'm recognizing that social media can be a place where we can feel like we're, uh, for the term digital social justice warriors, right? That somehow by posting and telling everybody that they're wrong and telling everybody that this is what they need to focus on will somehow transform the world we live in. It might be a small voice in the, in the sea of noise, but I find that the most productive conversation, again, going back to these quarrels and fights, like the most productive conversation happens in a relationship with another human being. It could be via text, it could be in a direct message on Instagram, uh, but I find that the most beneficial, like the ultimate goal is to sit with somebody over coffee or meal, whatever it is, and have a conversation to begin to find the commonalities, discuss the nuances of what's going on, and that requires time, it requires love, it requires patience, which we're gonna to get to in a little bit, but ultimately it, it requires a heart that values the other person more than the topic that you disagree on. 1 Corinthians 13, if we could take some time just to flip back, um, well, I'll, I'm going to read a little passage, and it'll, it'll, it'll be in the show notes, and you can reference it later. I would just encourage you to read the whole thing. But um, he says in 1 Corinthians 13, verses 1 through 3, If I speak in tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal or maybe a cowbell. I added that in there. That's, that's my own little translation. If you have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Again, it's that cowbell effect. And I think that even 2,000 years ago, Paul writing to the church in Corinth understood the cowbell doesn't work. That just coming in and just saying, when you lay down this track, you're going to wish that you listened to me because it's going to be the best. Ding, 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 right? And we just continually just hammer home like our opinion, our ideas. And we come at it with such pride. But what we see James calling people to here is this idea of humility. Of entering into a conversation, entering into a relationship submitting ourselves to God, recognizing first of all who's in charge, and then beginning to value people more than anything else, right? He says, um, what is it in the, in the end of verse four, three, he says, you spend it on your own pleasures, that when you receive things, you just focus on yourself and how you can benefit, how you can gain, instead of how you can begin to be a generous person in your conversation, or even with your possessions, right? This translates to all of life. Verse four and five, um, you begin to see that he just calls them out and just says, you can't, you, can't, you can't be with both. Jesus talks about this continuously, that you can't worship both God and money. You can't be one foot in, one foot out. You have to be fully committed to what God calls us to in the kingdom of God 
or not at all. And um, you can't just, you can't fake both. And so he says, submit yourselves in verse seven. And I think when he, when he talks about submitting ourselves, like it follows the verse where he says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble and oppressed. The submission that happens is basically saying, let me take a time out and recognize that I'm gonna put his agenda before I put my agenda first. I'm gonna take a time out and just take some time to make sure that what I'm reflecting is God's heart and not my heart. And ultimately that our hearts become one, right? So verse nine, just a little context there that where he says, grieve, mourn, wail, change your laughter to mourning, give your joy to gloom. He's not just saying just be all woe is me and, and suffering through everything. What he's calling us to is a, is a humility. It's a heart posture. Um, it's this idea that, um, I'm probably gonna butcher this quote, but uh, this idea that when we climb the staircase of pride, it's a long fall back down. Climbing that staircase of pride, it, it just destroys us. So the less effort we put towards climbing that staircase, the less of a fall. The humility that's required to say, I'm not gonna take that step up towards pride. I'm gonna enter into a relationship with humility, a conversation, a frustration, a tension, a conflict, whatever it is. The moment we enter into it with humility, there, there eliminates the fall. There eliminates the ability to put your foot in your mouth, to say something that doesn't reflect what God desires, to act in a way that doesn't reflect the heart of God. We see the impact and the conflict that results um, from our pride and our selfishness. Uh, when we feel attacked, when we feel like somebody's coming against what we believe and, or maybe even what we believe that God's heart is, um, we lose focus of the mission that Jesus calls us to love others. And that's again going back to 1 Corinthians 13. He says, I can do all these great things in the name of God, but if I don't do it with love, it's all just cowbell. It's all just resounding gong, crazy noise that nobody wants to hear. But if I do it with love, it'll have a different impact. It'll transform the world we live in. So how do we begin to resolve these conflicts that he talks about within the church? Um, how do we begin to resolve the tension that exists? I believe when we center our lives around Christ, there will be a tendency, there will be a approach to relationships, to conflict that starts with patience, that starts with love, that starts with grace, that starts with forgiveness, that starts with seeking understanding. Um, and that will begin to transform the world we live in. Um, resolve starts with centering around Jesus. There's a beautiful interaction that Jesus has with two of his disciples, um, uh, with James and John, and they come to him and they have this desire, this this very selfish desire, which we taught, we hear about here in James, uh, to be lifted up, to be in a place of prestige. And what they say in Mark 10, uh, it's verse 36, he said, they come to him and they bring this proposal and Jesus says, what do you want from me? And they replied in verse 37, he says, 
let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in heaven or in glory, in your glory. They have this desire to be elevated above everybody else. And there's a response further down in that, that passage where the other disciples are angry and frustrated with James and John for wanting a seat of prestige, of desiring to be treated better than everyone else. And again, that goes back to what we see here. And we're going to read these last few verses here in this passage. We see how destructive our selfish desires can be. And that, but what Jesus does is he turns it around and says, that's not for you to know. That's not for you to figure out. For you, it's meant just to follow me and be obedient and uh, all the rest will sort itself out. Places of prestige, um, how much money you get, the kind of influence or impact you have in this life, that's all, that's all for, for Jesus to sort out, for God to sort out. For us, our focus, our job, our mission is to be obedient, to follow our rabbi, which is what Jesus was to the disciples. He was their teacher. That's what rabbi is. And so we're called to follow our rabbi and be obedient. And the whole point of a disciple following a rabbi was to follow every step, every nuance that that rabbi did, taught, everything about it. They would emulate everything about them. And that's our desire as Christ followers is to be so obedient to our rabbi, so close to our rabbi that we learn every nuance of how he treats people, how his posture is towards the world. And we adopt that. We learn to live into that. And so in the closing verses, 11 and 12, he says, Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? So he says, there is only one lawgiver, one judge, essentially one God. As in the instance we just heard about with James and John, their obedience should just lie in the one judge, the one lawgiver, the one God, Jesus. Their loyalty should lie in that, and they shouldn't be caught up in, in wanting places of prestige, better seating, um, selfish desires creeping in there. And so what you see here is he calls them and says, don't judge other people. What you're called to do is look to the judge, look to the God, look to the lawgiver, look to the one who is the creator of all things. And as we begin to do that, our desire to have things our own way, our own selfish desires of how we're going to spend our stimulus check, all these opinions we have about how people should live and how things should operate, all just end up being this resounding gong, this clanging cymbal, this cowbell that just keeps going ding, 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 that's just obnoxious. He's like, that's all going to fade away as we begin to learn to want things God's way versus our own way. And again, that's centering back on the mission that God calls us to of loving others. Going back to first Corinthians, again, the description of love that it's like love is to motivate who we are. And he goes on and describes exactly what that is. We're going to talk about it in a second, but looking at the end goal, what what the end desire that God has for us 
is that we begin to be people that James talks about over and over, that love God, that submit our lives to God, that surrender to Him, and live out with action what we believe. That we're not just people who talk about it, but we're people who live it in conversations. That when there is, going back to the very beginning, when there is fights and conflicts, we're the first to be there to love, to resolve, to bring understanding, to listen, to bring godly wisdom because we've looked to Jesus in everything, that it's not our voice, it's not our opinion, it's not the clanging cowbell, it's God who's speaking and working through us in the Holy Spirit. So action step for this week, again, what causes fights? It's a lack of recognizing who we need to center around being Christ. There's a couple I know of that told me this story about how they went to counseling and the counselor fired them, right? So after about a year of meeting, uh, there wasn't any change in this couple and the, and the conflict wasn't being resolved. And so the counselor said, I'm done. We're not going to have any more sessions. And so what I want you to do is we're not going to meet, but I want you to read these two passages once a day for a whole month, or I think it was for a period of time. And the two passages were Galatians 5 and 1 Corinthians 13. And Galatians 5, 22 to 23 is the fruit of the Spirit. So it describes how we are to live. And that's what James does over and over. So I'm going to read these two passages just as a reminder. And I'm going to call us to read these passages. Maybe just try it for a week. Just read these two passages. I know Chris is assigned uh, reading Proverbs uh, one a day. Um, 30 days, 31 days, 31 Proverbs, just go through and reading one chapter a day. I'm going to add to a little bit. I know it's homework, but um, maybe it's just something that you you adopt to your weekly routine of reading at least once a week. Um, but Galatians 5, 22 to 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And it says, against such things, there is no law. You can do as much of that as you want. There's no rules against that because everybody knows that Patience is a beautiful thing. Everybody knows that loving, being a person of self-control, all of those things, the righteousness, all those things begin to be something that we all desire in others, but yet it's very difficult to see in ourselves, right? So reading this continually, I think, will, will ground us and center us around who Jesus is in the heart of God. And then 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8, this is a common passage that's used at weddings, but it's not necessarily a wedding passage. It's how we're called to love one another. So he says, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. And then it ends with this beautiful three-word line, love never fails. Maybe write that on your mirror. Maybe write these things out. Read them continually. If we center life around these things, I believe it'll shape how we have conflict with people, how we have relationship with people. That the fights and the quarrels that he talks about will be eliminated because we approach relationship with patience, with kindness, that we're willing to hear people out. Um, Saint, there's a prayer by St. Francis of Assisi that I want to close with that I believe 
captures the heart posture that James is calling us to beautifully. And we'll close out with this. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. And where there is sadness, joy. O Divine Master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen. Rejoice in knowing that we never walk alone. Know the grace and peace of Christ walking beside us, guiding and protecting us. Share this comfort with one another and feel his presence each moment of each day. Amen.